What's going on, y'all? It's your boy, Don Israel, a.k.a. Liddy Fontaine. Pretty Liddy's what they call me. And we back again with another episode of Lit, the premier platform for all things literary swag and everything in between. Today's guest is the big homie. She's like a big cousin who's always picking on me when she shows up. We got Angela Flournoy in the building. <laughs> Thank you for coming. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> so we need you to stand up. You always come swagged up. I forgot my grill. I just realized right now. I'm so mad at myself. Yes. So oh. we need you to stand up, take us through this, the fit. Um, How we start on top to the bottom. Okay. My ashy. Okay, no. Okay. Um. So these are Vince, like Vince Camuto shoes. Okay. I don't know. I have big feet, so I have to go where the sizes take me. Okay. Um. And I like them because they're kind of like Vans, and I'm from uh, Southern California, so I like Vans. Okay. But they got tassels, just a little bit dressier. I got this skirt in Australia. Okay. At uh thrift store um that's a bad bad skirt and so in australia they wear various sort of like plaid uniforms depending on the private school they go to and people like years later will recognize the plaid from whatever school and someone on the street did tell me that like i bought this in melbourne but that the school was in sydney but i don't know if that's true or not I, i remember that plaid from somewhere and then the shirt. Uh, this is just a unique little white shirt. Yeah, keep it, keep it. And then with the earrings. Yeah. The accessories. What do you, what do you... Uh, I don't remember when I got these earrings from. I have no idea. All right. Well, thank you for coming, uh-huh. Angela. Is she in frame? You make sure she in frame because you, you boxed out. So, first met you. Actually, when I first met you, it was two years ago. And I didn't even meet you. I met you through your book. I had, had a copy of... Uh, Return of House, mm-hmm. and then you were named, this was before the Brooklyn Book Festival 2004, 2015, and then I had posted the book after you got long-listed, or short-listed, it was long-listed, and then we met at the uh, Brooklyn Book Festival, I did your literary swag in the gym, right? at the ping, ping-pong tournament, mm-hmm. and then ever since then, you've been trolling I've been supporting you, Don, <laughs> I don't know what you're saying, troll, I, me? Nah, you, you, you okay. troll, but this book, you're writing your whole way of being in the world is definitely one I admire a lot. And a lot of your writing and a lot of, I think your presence is about family. Like one of the things that I felt that was dope was like you came to the new, the, the national book awards 2015 with your moms. Mm-hmm. And so let's talk, let's talk about family and let's, let's open that up. Sure. What your family looks like. Um, yeah. So I come from a big family. Uh, my dad is one of 13. Um, and my mom is one of four, but I have like a lot of uh, ado- uh, adoptive or like play cousin family also. Yeah. So like the high school I went to, for instance, I think at our peak, there were six of us there one time, like related to each other. Um, so I, I don't really have like a, like some people like to keep their friends very like separate. Like, oh, this, this is the thing I'm doing for my family. This is the thing I'm doing with my yeah. friends. But a lot of my peers when I was growing up were like related to me. And so in some ways, I think that's why when I was in high school, I didn't really care about fitting in yeah. a lot. Um, I think I cared more in middle school than I did in high school. But in high school, it was like, I don't really need to make friends. These people have to talk to me. <laughs> you know, they have yeah. to give me a ride home. It's, yeah. it's whatever. Yes. And so um, that also explains you're very laid back. It's like, mm. yeah, um, I mean, I think and I've been sort of spoiled that way because I went to USC for undergrad in my freshman year, I lived on Somerville, which is like the like the African American themed floor, themed. But it's like the black people floor, and because of that, and there was like thirty two of us, which is not a lot, it seems, but like in a predominantly white institution. That's everybody. Right. It was like we had our own mini HBCU, like yeah. just you know, I'm, at with, home. I'm rocking HBCU. Shout out to Shaw um, University. Shout out to Shaw, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of those same people they just so happened to move to new york a lot of people from my freshman year yeah you met all of them like zoe and valerie and jasmine um and sophia and so all those people i've had the same friends since my freshman year so since i was like 18 Uh and so even here in new york i feel like maybe i'm a little bit more like laid back than other people even in literary spaces because i usually bring like my family (laughs) my old friends yeah one of the first people not even first but i think one of the most contemporary writers with an entourage so <laughs> now nah, you do you become deep so we gotta do this 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 marduce i think you've seen enough episodes yes so you know what to do oh, no. pop oh, the top okay Ooh. cool so 
Cheers. Cheers. This actually, actually tastes like nutritious. It is. It's a healthy juice. I don't taste juicy. We have to we have to, okay. You have to drink. <laughs> To the generosity of Jason Reynolds, I could be a bit more generous <laughs> with the pour. Because Nicole Sealy got on me. She was like, boy, you better pour more in there. I'm like, you don't know how much these bottles cost. You ain't got no fun to trying to get Ducey to sponsor us. Right. Send some bottles through. Then you just, okay. just swirl it around. Quickly. All right. Nice. Boom. Cheers again. Oh, cheers. crazy for like 1 p.m. on a Thursday? I think it is a smooth drink. It's a smooth You ain't got to drink it all at once. And that's the nice thing about this is like you ain't even got to walk around with this in like a paper bag. No, you don't. This you is don't. apple juice. You don't. Hopefully it don't get too popular the way cops know this is, hey, give me, come in. Right. <laughs> um, so I remember when I interviewed you back in January and we had the conversation about the first story I ever wrote and it was about a three-legged elephant mm -hmm. that had been discriminated against. <laughs> tell the people why you wrote that story um i wrote that story i don't actually remember if it was a prompt or why i wrote the story but um uh i've always been into elephants right i think you saw i have some in my house um yeah. i'm a delta i'm a member of delta sigma theta i did not pledge because of the elephants but maybe on the subconscious they have elephants out there yeah i didn't know that yeah. i've always associated like the the whole drone mm -hmm. of the diamond thing um, the dynasty song. Yeah, <laughs> she got Delta, so she. Uh, the yeah, elephants are like their unofficial sort of like oh, mascot, and um, yeah, and so I probably was just into elephants, and so I was asked to write a story, mm. and um, I don't know, so that's something to to think about recently for like this other project I've been working on. I looked at a lot of my old journals. Yeah. Um. And which I started journaling in 93, so I was, what, eight? Um, Damn. One of my aunties. You got me about five years. Okay. Huh? So you got me about five years. My, um, one of my aunties who lives in Detroit had, like, given me a journal. I don't know. She probably just got it, like, with pick and save. I guess it's called Big Lots now <laughs> for, like, Christmas. But for me, I was like, ah, oh, yeah. I'm going to do this. And so I did. But when I try to read those, it's like, those are really boring until, like, junior high. And that's mm -hmm. when, like things get stressful <laughs> the hormones start making things stressful but um it probably did have something to do with like feeling like an outsider in some way channeling that into that elephant yeah. elephant i saw you were always pretty much like a taller girl than everybody yes. else um, was that a way in which you felt like you were like yeah even i was physically like well i was just... taller and i went to school and predominantly um with um mexican so uh, Salvadorans were mostly Mexicans and Filipinos. This was in and um, California. in Southern California. Yeah, who are not necessarily known for their height. So I also felt like I was like the brownest person around and the tallest person around. Yeah. Um, they weren't. It's not like I went to school where I had dealt with a lot of racism. I really didn't. Yeah. Besides, like mild immaturity sort of things, but um, I did. In third grade, I had like a growth spurt, and so I was taller than all of my friends, which has just continued. Yeah. So that was probably part of it too. And then you read on top of that. I did read. I mean, I always had like nerdy friends until I started playing basketball. Then I got some cool friends. But I was gonna ask if you played basketball, but I felt like I was out of order. I'm like, you can't just ask the tall girl if she played basketball. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure they made sure you played. Right. I wasn't good. <laughs> they were just like, you're tall. Come, Come over here. And then, how long did that last? Um. I played for two years. My sophomore and junior year, I was on JV and then I was on varsity. This is high school now? Yeah. Okay. And then I quit for senior year because I was student body president. Okay. Right. I didn't have time. What did you do in your tenure? In my student, tenure, I got us a new marquee, which has, it just got replaced last year, which made me feel real old because it was brand new. It was LED, but now they got like a computerized thing. Oh, shit. LED is out. Yeah, that's, that shit is old. Right. So for you, let me ask you. When you started writing, right? Before you started writing, who was the first person you had read that sort of made literature real to you? Like, um, 
So I started writing, as I said, very, very young. Um, yeah. I I actually did bring something to read. Oh, you did? I know you think I didn't follow any of the You told me you ain't following yourself. But I'm going to read it, and I want okay. you to guess <laughs> where it's from. Um, if it ain't James Baldwin, I ain't gonna know who it is. No, this was I'm, I've been writing since I was like eight years old, so you gotta you gotta think younger than that. Okay. <clears throat> Once there were four children whose names were Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy. This story is about something that happened to them when they were sent away from London during the war because of the air raids. They were sent to the house of an old professor who lived in the heart of the country, ten miles from the nearest railway station and two miles from the nearest post office. He had no wife, and he lived in a very large house with a housekeeper called Mrs. McCready and three servants. Their names were Ivory, Margaret, and Betty, but they did not come into the story very much. <laughs> he himself was a very old man with shaggy white hair, which grew over most of his face as well as on his head, and they liked him almost at once, but on the first evening when he came out to meet them at the front door, he was so odd-looking that Lucy, who was the youngest, was a little afraid of him, and Edmund, who was the next youngest, wanted to laugh and had to keep on pretending he was blowing his nose to hide it. Lemony Snickers, what's that? <laughs> it's the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Oh, I, oh, I definitely. <laughs> and yo, yeah, you like, you, you told me you like, you really liked fantasy novels at a point. Yeah, when I was like really young. I mean, I just like series, which kids still do. Yeah. Um, and you so. You talked about reading Narnia. Yeah, that's yeah. the first one from that, uh, like, series. And so I just read them all yeah. really, really quickly. Um, I, I wish I had like a cooler, like, blacker answer. Nah, it's not. <laughs> but, I mean, that's, that's the, that's the But answer. that was like the first thing. I remember the quickest book I ever read was Holes. In the seventh grade, I got holes and I devoured that in a night. I don't know what it was. I was trying to figure out what the hell. I thought they had like money stashed. Holes was a good movie. That's a good movie. I thought I'm talking about the book though. I know. I didn't read the book. Oh. I was a little too old for, to be reading the book by that time. You wasn't that old. I was you, like I was 12. in college. You, was, you wasn't. Yes, I was. How old are you? I was... Oh, that's in seventh grade, so 13. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> what I look like freshman year, like, let me put down this James Baldwin and read this whole. You could read, you could, you could, you could read them in tandem. You it's could, true. But it wasn't like trendy like it is now. Like, all the adults read YA, and YA is like smart, and everybody's reading it. But at my, uh, back then, adults were like, what are you doing reading holes? Yeah. What do you think is the, sh what do you think was the shift? Uh, What's been the shift with why people are reading YA now? Because Jason came on here. He, he 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 went into a well. He's an expert. He went into a Kanye tirade on it. <laughs> I mean, on a, he went into his Kanye esque rant on like y'all better start respecting. I love writers. when he does like the direct ex addresses to the people, <laughs> like y'all. He's very good at that. Um, I mean, I I defer to him because I'm sure he knows more of the statistics than I do about like. No, but I mean like on a. But in, I think a, part yeah. of it is because YA is doing more to resemble the actual population of the country of its readership mm. and. Uh, Adult publishing, literary publishing, is certainly lagging behind that. Yeah, that's like, true. Like, look at the long list for YA, like for National yeah, Book Award. It does year. look like what this country is, and and not yeah, and both just like as far as race and like uh, sexual orientation, but also like differently abled people. Like, mm -hmm. YA is just out here exploring all these different ways of existing mm -hmm. that. Um, I'm not saying there's no adult people writing this, but I, certainly not being published at that same rate. Yeah. So that's probably one reason why adults might be like, oh, well, you know. And then also I think sometimes you don't, like if you think about like adult fantasy series, a lot of them, again, they're not looking like us in the mm. adult fantasy series, but in like a YA fantasy series, you know. Yeah. More likely. So if you're into fantasy, yeah. Yeah, that's true. So... Turn a house mm -hmm. by the family, thirteen, resembling who you just said, like your father's at least in composition of the size. Right. It takes place in Detroit, mm -hmm. and you decided to focus on middle-aged siblings. What informed that decision? Um, I wanted to focus on people one generation removed from the Great De uh, Great Depression, the Great Migration. And so that's just the age they would have been yeah. like in 2000 um, is in their 40s and 50s and some in their 60s. Yeah. Um, also, when you have if you want to talk about a whole bunch of adults and then you want to have them be this big, like 13 siblings, everyone can't be 25. 
Yeah, like that compass, like, and you're right, like, that's naturally gonna create like a spread. And it's also just like how many people are having 13 kids anymore, right? Like, like past the age, you get a television show, right? Or you're all over the tabloids now if that happens, yeah. And so, you know, with the whole idea of making the family move one year from the great, great migration, what was why was that important? To you, for the like, even for the, the the telling of the story. Well, the the story, um, I really wanted to have people who had like experienced the entire scope of change in the city of Detroit, right? And a lot of the ways that the city changed were directly related to the way that the city accommodated, or mostly did not accommodate, its like African American population, which exploded. Yeah because of the great migration right. so the two were like related yeah your answers are so quick i'm just like oh snap i think there's more but it's okay you just drop that's it. what happens when your book's been out for a minute you're just like ah, ah. <laughs> like i've learned i've learned the answers <laughs> um you started writing this book if i'm not mistaken at iowa right yes where it's like one of the most prestigious programs you had who who had like who had been the person who had wrote your recommendation for it oh um that's a good story so one person was uh one of my former bosses and the only like real job i ever had i used to do pr here in new york rebecca fitz shout out to rebecca fitz i don't even know if you're still in new york but um she wrote one of my letters of rec and then david lloyd one of my professors at usc and then uh dana johnson um uh dana johnson dana johnson is you should so she's um Short story writer and uh, novelist. Her first collection, Break Any Woman Down, came out, I think, in the mid to late 90s. And it okay. won the Flannery O'Connor. And then she has a novel that came out a couple years ago called Elsewhere, California, which is really, 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 really good. Crazy thing about her. So I never took a class with her. My other professor, David Lloyd, just like put us in contact after I was already out of USC. Um, she went to the same middle school and high school as me. Right. So she also... Grew up in West Covina, California. And it's, but she's like maybe 10 to 12 years older than me. Okay. So the book, Elsewhere, California, is like about a coming of age story about being like a black girl mm-hmm. in West Covina, which is a very specific place. But it's crazy because, like, as I said, when I went, when I was grew up, grew up there and kind of how it is still, is that it was a, an ethnoverb, like a majority minority uh, population. Like, right. I don't know how many white people were in West Covina, but in my school, yeah. there was not a lot. But 10 years prior, it was sort of before all the white people had left. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was the same space, but it's like a completely different experience because there's like, she's sort of dealing with like suburban whiteness yeah. in a way that I did not grow up having to deal with. So you, you grew up like mainly around people of color. Yeah. So your first culture shock racially is when you go to USC? Yeah, but then I was like on the floor with all the black people. So really my first culture shock was getting a normal job here in New York right after undergrad. So, and you were working publicity and literature or just publicity? No, fashion, retail. I would say retail, not fashion. What was your job? Like, exactly. (laughs) So there used to be a company, it doesn't exist anymore, called Stephen Berry's. They used to, they put out the Starberry Marberry shoe. It was was like $20. No, it was actually like $14.98. Yeah, $15. So I did PR for... The, both the retail stores, like in the, when I first started, before I got like a little promotion, I did it for um, like grand openings. Okay. So I would call local press people and try to get them to come to like the grand opening in, I don't know, Killeen, Texas or whatever. But then later I did like like more kind of like fashion PR. Like I've worked in the showroom and I would try to get placements. Oh, the Starberry. Yeah. Okay. Uh, they also had a line with Sarah Jessica Parker. And one with Venus Williams, and one with Amanda Bynes. And these things all, all I mean, tanked <laughs> for the black of... Well, the, the whole company, like, after the, like, like Bear Stearns and stuff collapsed, the whole company, like, went under. Damn. Um, which, I mean, it's not surprising because there was, like, a mortgage crisis, and part of their business was, like, attached to these giant, like, spaces in retail malls all over the country. Yeah. So... You got a lot of money, like tied up in not the best real estate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, cool. but anyway, so that's what I did, and that was my first real exposure to uh, whiteness, I guess. And what was that shift like for you? 
Um, in terms of your mom, like, was it something you found yourself having to adjust to, or was it something that, like, it you know, you kind of just treated like another day? Well, I mean, it was also not just like I wouldn't want to. I want to be specific. Like, it also was my first experience with like East Coast class concerns, which are different from West Coast class concerns. In what way? We got good public schools in California. Really? Yes. You've never heard of the UC system? No, I have not. Like UCLA? Like UC Berkeley? Like, so, like, is that, I've always just translated that. That's like the CUNY of, like, yes, the West Coast. but those schools are all, like, top ranked. They're all, like. That is true. Nationally top ranked. Yeah, man. And so, when, if you go to, like, a school that didn't cost a lot of money, it doesn't necessarily mean, like, you can go to Berkeley and, like, have a great life, but. Here, it was like everyone else who worked there went to like an Ivy League school or a small liberal arts college, you mm-hmm. know, <laughs> and, and that's yeah. a, a sort of different pedigree in a way, yeah. right? That means they got into a fancy high school if they lived in like New York, right? Yeah. And they've sort of been on this track to excel yeah. in a way where a lot of people who get into, even Stanford, um, back then anyway, a lot of people who get into very good schools in California, they went to public school. Mm. They didn't necessarily, like, yeah. they haven't been sort of trained to be on this like track to be successful yeah. and so there's just like a weird there's different cultural kind of things so that happen more bougie yeah more bougie on, on like one of my like best uh co-workers um went to the school that that gossip girl is based on which i forgot the name of it high school yeah i don't even know i don't is it like horse man or something is that a place Girl, i don't know anyway so yeah they, they, well they, you know they've continuously said New York has the most segregated school system in the country. Exactly. Yeah. And that is indicative by the fact that I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Right. So <laughs> so anyway, that was a, a sort of different thing. Um, and just not understanding certain ways that like, like there's different cultural capital on this Definitely. coast. Let me ask you something. So when you, when you leave an eighth grade, right? And you're mm-hmm. going, cause I'm now I'm trying to understand how this works. Cause in New York, right? When you graduate from eighth grade the, or in your eighth grade year, like every high schooler, at least that goes to public school, gets the book and you get to pick your high school. Oh, you don't? No, that's, you just go to it. <laughs> uh, you go to the school. You go to the next school. Unless you're going to go to private school. Oh, no. Nah, we had like. You go. A there was book. a few people who went to, like people I know who lived, um, who went to school in LAUSD, who went to kind of uh, like Crossroads or Laces. There's a few of those you have to like, or. King Drew. There's a few like the magnet schools you have to apply to, mm-hmm. but plenty of people don't go to those schools. You just do well at the top of the of your class. Like you go to Fairfax, and like every school already has a way that it kind of segregates because people have AP classes or they have international baccalaureate. So yeah, every yeah. school still has its like stratifications. Right. So you just get yourself on and those things. Yeah. And you're fine at your giant public school. Right. You don't have to. So no, you don't apply. In fact. You're kind of obligated unless you pull some like trickery and get a different address to go to the school you're supposed to go to. Yeah, um, no, that's definitely different than the city. They had a waiver when I was in junior high school. I actually just reminded myself of this because I was reading my journal uh, last week. They had a waiver that they sent home because there had been a bomb in a locker at the high school I went to, mm-hmm. and so they had given us like a couple of, for a few years of incoming freshmen. You could go to the other school in the district. Okay. Which was further and which was a little better. Um, but my mom was like, no, you're going to go to this one and just be at the top of the class and get all the scholarships. Um, <laughs> and that worked out. Right. But all my friends went to the other one. I remember being upset about that. So you just by yourself. You're building. My sister was there. So then you wasn't. And all my friends. I mean, all my family was there. And so you have, you have one sister, right? I have two sisters. Younger? Older. I have an older sister and a younger sister. Oldest, younger sister is very much younger. She's 17. Okay, and the old sister got you for like what, two or three? Three years. Three years? Okay. Mm-hmm. That's that's interesting because I remember, you know, you got to pick your high school from the five boroughs and I remember the, the only thing I wanted to, you, the only thing most people were looking at is if like the girl to boy ratio because all the dudes wanted to go to schools. Like you had a bunch of dudes going to Clara Barton High School mm-hmm. that was for nursing because like the ratio was like, it was like, it was like an 80% girl school. And like, wow. when I get there, it's going to be mad, bitches there, blah, blah, They're blah. They're just going to get friend zoned over and over and over and over again. <laughs> I hope that's what happens. <laughs> that's that's not what happened to me but i also wasn't like the guy who was doing that so how did you get like so did you go to a school in this borough or you yeah so i literally go to the school down the block oh so i went to grand street campus and then there was also a thing in new york where you had to go to a school if you wanted to be safe that was dangerous in a weird way 
like your school had to be dangerous for you to be safe. So like if you went to a school that was known for like people getting beat up at, people sort of left you alone. What? So it was like, oh, you go to, you know, so Eastern District, that's what Grand Street Campus used to be called. It used to be called Eastern District High School, which was like known for like, it's like race war, race fights between like Dominicans and black people and shit y'all like have, that. Y'all have race fights on this coast too? Yeah. I thought that was a California <laughs> nah, tradition. That's, I think that's that's throughout this country. That, that, that <laughs> okay. just happens where it's like more than one and they you got to share space. Right. But it was, they broke the school up into three different schools, EBT, Legal, and Progress. And I went to EBT, which was on the top floor. EBT? Yeah. Enterprise Business and Technology. Okay. It was a joke with the like, <laughs> you go to EBT card school, y'all make EBT cards. <laughs> like that was the whole thing. But when I applied, at the time I applied because they had a football, they had football and I was like, I want to be a football player. Mm-hmm. And then it was the ratio, it was like 74% girls, 34% boys. Okay. Which also to me communicated safety. Because any school that had a lot of boys. So how are they having school. race riots with like race riots with like two? Well, that's just one floor though, oh, right? Okay. Like so, on my floor, the school breakdown was it's seven. So complicated. It, it's just like if you don't have an active parent or you're not just like a self motivated student. What are oh, you, you supposed to do? You could definitely get lost in the city. I mean, this is like what eight million people. This is crazy. And you can go to any school and that you want to go to. Like, like if you if you apply for a school in the Bronx and you live in Queens, if they accepted you, you could go there. So it was like this sort of ability to kind of like just venture out because we have public transportation, right? I think it changes if you have if you needed a car. Well, also they're not just one school district. Well, like there is an LA uh, proper, like an LAUSD is a big school district which has a lot of students, but it also is I don't know. It's changed now. There weren't all these charter schools when I was in high school so maybe it's different now maybe kids are in eighth grade like looking at a big book of schools oh now oh yeah in la yeah how many high schools was in you remember your thing like your town or your well i went to a small district rolling unified school district there's only two high schools there's one that's why y'all be having them like rivalries like that's a real thing right there are other high schools around. Weirdly, yeah, they yeah. just weren't like because of the way the districts were broken up. Like there was Walnut High School that was closer than Rolling to me. Mm-hmm. There was West Covina High School. There was Covina. There was South Hills. There was um, Ayala. There was all these schools, but they weren't in my district. Mm. And so, you just how are you supposed to get to those schools? You would have had to like get some kind of exception. And LAUSD, there's a lot of high schools, but. For my own sister who went to graduated from Fairfax High School, yeah, she lived down the street from Fairfax, so she went to Fairfax. Um, if Fairfax was terrible, maybe her mom would have tried to figure out how to get her in one of the charter schools, yeah, but it wasn't. I mean, Fairfax is a huge school, yeah, but it's um got again like those tracks within the school, mm-hmm. okay, okay. I'm really interested in how school worked now. Because I, I just assume that all schools look like, all school systems are structured no. the way all school systems are. But that's just coming from New York. The system is Byzantine. Like, as far as, it's so complicated. And it's really, it can, like, so in eighth grade, basically, you're making decisions that are going to affect the rest of your life. I ain't never think of it like that. Damn. Well, they set us the fuck up. Like, you're going to pick your school based on how many girls go there. And it's like, why can't you just make all of the schools... The same. Like, why can't they all be good? They, exactly. Because oh, segregation, to, right? To, <laughs> so, so, because yeah. then they want to control, like, at these elite schools, they get the most resources. Mm-hmm. Like, how many of y'all, mm-hmm. how many of us are in there? Yeah. Don't get me started on how no, the segregation, I think school this, segregation. This is, this is great because, well, not great in a good way, but I think this is a, a good transition into the book because one thing you deal with a lot in the book is the housing discrimination of Detroit mm-hmm. and how that really paints that becomes sort of a character in the book is like the limitation of where black bodies can go in the city mm-hmm. that's considered to be for so long black right and then that like paints like you know the way the city even functions for a black character in or at least black characters in that book of like where they can't go and it seems to be more places than not right and so they're confined I'm and sorry. it's like something that uh affects just Well, one, it was like really disillusioning for a lot of these people who were like escaping the South and kind of the strictures of the South and came to uh, the North. And Detroit is not alone in this. Uh, The same summer I sold my book, Ta-Nehisi Coates published The Case for Reparations in the Atlantic, which was all about housing segregation in Chicago. Right. Right. Um, But so the first thing is just like 
psychologically you escape like Jim Crow you come to the north and you're supposed to be able to like have full sort of like a full franchise like you're supposed to be able to have uh be per- participatory in like the American dream so yeah. but you're not and you, you discover that really quickly like oh I actually like there's just different ways that they keep you out of um power or even prosperity or even just like stability and one of them is if you can't control where you live you can't control what you're going to be charged for rent like how are you ever supposed to have any sort of financial security uh-huh. and um that was huge during this the beginning the pre-war years and really until like the fair housing act mm-hmm. uh so you have so it's like in the 60s right yeah so you have people who are living we're making the same money or eh, maybe not the same, but good money comparatively. Not Maybe not the same as like some of their white co-workers, but they're making good money at these factories and they're just flushing all that money away in rent. Mm-hmm. And these like really small pockets of the city where they're permitted, permitted to live. So, of course, the landlords are gouging them, right? right? And yeah, that's something that kind of perpetuates and it also keeps you dependent on a certain sort of work. Mm. Um yeah. So, and that's, you know, when I'm reading writers, I'm always looking for, like, how do I know that I'm reading this particular writer? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, some, what are some of the hallmarks, the signatures of their style? And I think one thing that seems to make itself very pronounced in your work is that you are very concerned with injustice as a framework for how people recognize themselves in life. That's, that's 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 how I read it, which is not to say that's how you write. I think I'm concerned with honesty. I don't okay. think I even think like, ah, uh, you know, I gotta, I gotta highlight this issue. No, 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 no. I wasn't saying as that. much as like, if I'm thinking about honestly, like, what does it take to support a family? Which is like the big challenge, say, for the character Francis in like 1944, 45 is what does it take to support a family? When can I feel confident to send for my wife and my child? Mm-hmm. Immediately, you know, it's like, I have to have a real house. I can't be, like, living in this crappy boarding, you know, house. And, oh, it's impossible for me to get a real house, you know? Mm -hmm. So that immediately becomes something. I think there's a way that, um, you know, other writers, perhaps accurately, I would wager not accurately, they've decided that a lot, the political has nothing to do with their characters. Uh Political has to do with all of us, right? Yeah. And so... Uh, for me, it's not so much like I identify an issue when I create a way to explore the issue. Mm-hmm. This book started because I wanted to write a ho- about a house like the one my father grew up in. And then I decided later oh, I'm going to make a huge family like the one I'm familiar with. It had nothing to do with like injustice in the beginning. That was all a re- uh, result of research. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think that if you're writing about black people living in this country and you're writing about it, Honestly. And it reads like a Raymond Carver short story. You're lying to yourself, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're just lying, right? Or you've decided I'm only talk about two hours where they never go outside, where they never have any external stimuli that's gonna poke a hole in this, yeah. you know? And yeah, and I and I think let me to frame that better. Like not so much that you're like concerned with showing injustice, but like you said, there like that impossibility of talking about the personal mm-hmm. without the political, and so in that. I guess what I see is the injustice, which is very different. But care to give some language for how do people, if somebody's reading you and they don't know they're reading you, what are some things that let people know they're reading an Andrew Flournoy piece, whether it be fiction or, and I know you have different things, but what is some Um, hallmarks of Angela's voice? I refer to you in third person for the podcast. (laughs) I'm not going to refer to myself in third person, (laughs) but um, I would say... I, I would say that there's um, going to be, I don't want to toot my own horn, but there's going to be good dialogue for sure. I feel yeah. like there's going to be good dialogue. Um, I try my hardest to really, I mean, I've been nosy my whole life. So I've been listening to like all sorts of people talk for a long time. Um, I went to a bilingual elementary school. So um, this is like, like, I'm not fluent anymore in Spanish, but it's something that like, I think influenced the way that I think about like uh dialogue because it's like you hear people speaking one way at school all day we used to have bilingual and this was before it was cool like this was actually outlawed in the 90s um 
it, they are no longer bilingual schools in the way that I went to a bilingual school. Now it's like a charter school where they're teaching people to be bilingual. But my school was just by like virtue of serving their community bilingual because okay. we had a lot of first generation or recent immigrants in my school. So you would be in a classroom and there would be like two teachers. Oh. One would be speaking in English and one would be speaking in Spanish. You would go to assembly and the same principal. Our assemblies were so long. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this, the principal would say everything in English and then say everything in Spanish. Um, and now everybody's like, you know, people get on wait lists to get their kids in schools like this. But the anti-immigrant sort of environment of the day being that it, what it was, yeah. they, they made that illegal. Like you couldn't use public funds for that in California. Oh, um, but um, anyway, so because of that, I think like hearing one sort of like language all day and people communicating in one sort of way. And then going home and having people communicate in a different way made me very sort of like attuned to the way that people talk. Mm. And also because of that, just like growing up, I had like a whole bunch of different kinds of accents also the way that I talk, depending on like what population of people were at my school. Mm. Okay. And another thing I'm interested in from a writing standpoint, the ability to write male characters, which is very different than I think that women writers are better writers, hands down. Yes. I'm not just saying that because you're here. Um, but I think that women, because when I've, I've seen male writers write women characters in novels, they're not as believable. Well, men don't listen to women oh, in life. <laughs> well, the thing is, I mean, uh, if you're a woman, you just get a lot of opportunities to listen to men, whether you want to or not. Mm. Uh, what they think, you know, both when they're trying to impress you, like on a date, when, like, say you dated them and they decided to be vulnerable, like, you get to hear about all their, like, hopes and fears and dreams. And in most cases, the average woman in a heterosexual relationship would be lucky if a, if 30% of that is transmitted back the other way and, like, actually received by, by like, the male. 30%? And that's high? I mean, I'm not... This is not my expertise. But I just feel like if you're living in... If you're living in 2017 in America, you have a lot of opportunities to figure out how men think because they're telling you all the time. Mm. But you don't have as many opportunities to figure out what women are thinking, especially not what like lower income black women are thinking. Right. And you do do a lot of thinking on the page with Layla mm -hmm. and letting her like private life and the things that go unsaid often be seen and heard mm -hmm. um and which for me like that's been a you talk about listening that should have been like a whole nother way of living for me recently now because i've you started me, to listen yeah i'm starting to oh, starting to and i know i'm starting to listen because i'm not talking as much that's good that's it's part useful. of it um i think that it is i don't really i didn't really find it difficult to write the men in my book i found it difficult to write layla well um, because she's very much not like me. She's like not confrontational. Um, she's not trolling people as you say that I'm trolling people. Um, <laughs> I don't know about, I can't speak for people. I know you troll me. Uh, I appreciate it. I don't though. troll you. I accept it. Um, she is like a person who is not necessarily honest with anybody. And so including mm -hmm. herself. And so how do you write somebody like that who doesn't want to be forthcoming in a way that actually likes helps the reader discover things about them mm -hmm. so i found like every single chapter with her to be extremely difficult because mm -hmm. the cha-cha chapters it was just like i can imagine what he thinks He's like i know this guy yeah okay would you be willing to read something from the oh. book that's why we brought it give oh. people a for how long you read it you read what you you you, you know pacing you, you know <laughs> what feels what feels like a this this feels good okay you mean writing my book no, I write in my book. I bought this book. Telling you, writing your book. Yeah, Lisa Lucas on here already. Yeah, I know. You, you told me that she like marked it because you used to write in people's books. I used to write in the books I was teaching. And then she, she posted like a picture of her like drawing on the book. No, it, like that she was about to, and I really didn't like that. It made me really uncomfortable. Um, well, this is how you know if I read your book. If I don't have no lines in it, or if you read a book that I like, because I don't, I don't underline that. I mean, nothing stuck to me. I don't know what to read. Um. I'll just read some some voices then. Um, 
Yeah, so this is like when Cha-Cha calls all of his siblings. I'll do a little bit of this. I'm going to start with Quincy. Quincy, third child, 59 years old. The problem is all those women up there with you. You know I love our sisters, Cha, but they're hysterical. I don't doubt they drive me crazy too. I'm not crazy, Quincy. Of course you're not crazy. You're my big brother and a Turner man. Listen to me, though. That hate might be real. It might just be in your imagination. I don't know. But your reaction to it is a choice. All this hysteria over a ghost? You can unchoose that, Cha. Turner men don't choose hysteria. Russell, fourth child, 57 years old. Tina said you upset Mama, and every time I call Mama, she says she ain't up to talk. Mama's confused, Russell, and that's not what I called to talk about. Well, what you call for, then? I called about that hate from the big room. I want to know what you remember. All I remember is what Daddy said. I know what Daddy said, Russell. Come on, now. You remember that hate is being real, don't you? Sure, it's real. Or was real. No one ever saw it again, so that's got to mean something, too. I saw it on Sunday and every night since, plus that time when I had my accident. Aw, oh, nobody thinks you really saw it when you had that crash. Tell you the truth, we all thought it was them painkillers. So you're telling me it could only happen once on Yarrow and then never again? Sure. Isn't that how the world works? We were all just at the wrong place at the wrong time back then. We're at the right place at the right time, depending on how you look at it. You should really read the emails I send out, Cha. They're all about miracles and chance encounters. Things like that only happen once. Nettie, seventh child. 50 years old, from turnergal7 at coolmail.com, to cturner1 at isecs.net, subject re, I need to talk to you. Auto reply, vacation away message. Namaste, I'm on vacation in India, will return May 29th. If this is work related, please contact my second in command, Lachelle Dozier. Kisses from the Taj Mahal, Antoinette Turner. Be the change you wish to see in the world, Gandhi. Mm. And how hard was that? Uh, creating 13 distinct voices mm. when really like only like I would say like four siblings are really like the central of the book and like right how does this go yeah um uh it was it was so I basically have you ever read uh, Roberto Bolaño's The Savage Detectives no you should okay so in The Savage Detectives which is like a huge book and has it's really in three parts. The first part is like a diary by this kid, um, Garcia Madero is his name, mm. and it's like about him trying to get inside this clique, the visceral realist, this like poet group. Yeah. Um, and the the second part is an, like a series of interviews with all these people about their memories of the two leaders of the visceral realists. Mm. And the second part is crazy. So because it's like all these people who are supposedly answering a question about. When's the last time you saw uh, one of these two like leaders? Yeah. But what they do instead is really just characterize themselves and give you these real these like quick portraits into who they are and what their own obsessions are. Right. And so when I read that, at that point I hadn't written. I still had this problem where it's like I wanted to write about this huge family, but I didn't want to focus on every single character, every no, single sibling. So when I read that, I was like, oh, so what I can do, <laughs> like towards the middle of the book. It's just have you meet everyone once. Like they only get one conversation and you feel like you know them enough. So then at the very end, when everyone's together, you're like, oh, you're the one who went to India. You're the yeah. one who's like. The, the two brothers always like freaking friends. Right. Yeah. And so um, even though I'm sure nobody would read that and think of Roberto Bolaño's book, to me, you know, you get your craft sort of sparks wherever you get them from. And so when mm -hmm. I read that, I was like, oh, I could do this really quickly. Yeah. You did a, did a phenomenal job doing that because I didn't get lost with the people. Like what you said, I think that's the that's that that's a hallmark of a of a successful piece of writing when it does exactly what you intended it to do for the reader. Thank you. So yeah, one dope thing, little triv not trivia but like a thing notable thing is Issa read had was reading the book. Yeah. On insecure. Yes. And in order to not IG stalk, <laughs> what's her name? Tasha? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Lawrence's new uh, situation, new boo. That, boy, that hasn't, that, where you've been, what episode you on? That came and went. With I know, I'm, 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 I was not spoiling. <laughs> I was trying to give people the current moment in which the book was read. Uh -huh. But then the next episode, it's also on the nightstand when she's like trying to find batteries for her vibrator. Yeah. And that's a smaller moment, like you have to be looking for it. But that actually makes me like more happy because it's just, usually when people read, people don't really read on television, but what they do, when they do, even like Orange is the New Black or whatever, 
people are finishing these books in like two seconds. You never see the book again. Yeah. So the fact that she was living with it, yeah, it resonated with you. It was still around on a yeah. nightstand where people put books that they're reading. Yeah. Um, and you know her. Yes. Vaguely or like um, a friend of a friend know or like. We're friendly. Yeah. Okay. Cool. That's dope. I mean, I don't like be talking to her all the time, but. I'll be saying y'all be blessing each other up. Y'all be like, oh, girl, yes. congratulations on your stuff. Girl. I am a fan. Nah, I am a fan, too. Um, What else is going on in the world of Angela Flournoy? Oh. What can you share that's going on? What can I share? Because uh, I know more than I want to let on. I don't want to blow up. Why, why you even got to do all that? <laughs> <laughs> why you even got to do all that? Um, I'm still working on my second book, Slowly But Surely. Slowly. Do, I had these other. Chemistries know what it's about. Um, yeah, I think it's on the Coleman website or whatever um, where I had my fellowship. But um, you know, do it for lit girl. Do it for the culture. Of course, I'm, not, right. I'm not gonna send them to the internet. <laughs> I would not send your people to the internet. Um, so I'm writing a novel that is about really it's about like black female friendship and trying to track the like changes in this this like friend group over 20 years. Mm. So like from thirty years oldish to like fifty years oldish, and you um, this middle age. Is th- you saying thirty is middle age? I'm talking. Oh shit! No, I'm not saying thirty is middle age. I'm talking about the this age interview rate. is over. <laughs> <laughs> I got to go. Um, uh, no, I'm just really interested in um, where, like, what happens when you're no longer just like a kid. Mm. Um, I feel like there were certain friendships in my 20s, certain friendships have I've been very fortunate have lasted through my 20s, but there were other friendships that like, as, how old are you again? 27. Ooh, you're just like, you're not even there yet. 28 to 30 is, there are some stressful years. There's some tumultuous Come years. Come on, my geez, leave me out it's of like this. like your Saturn returns <laughs> and you just want to throw everything, you just want to burn your life down. Anyway, so a lot of the relationships that I hadn't really thought about too hard, but I had sort of just maintained in my early 20s. Yeah. But my late 20s, I realized, like, we actually shouldn't be friends. And so I'm interested. And everyone who lasted through that, I just, like, can't imagine never not being in my life. But I'm interested to see, like, what actually happens. Because yeah. I also, you know, I remember people my mom used to hang out with when I was, like, a teenager who she doesn't hang out with anymore. And then there's also, but that's, like, very few everyone else it's like they've known each other for so long i just can't really imagine what that looks like mm. and so how that happens um but i mean i'm not afraid of middle age as far as writing about it that could be my thing if people want I guess to that seems like your pocket <laughs> um i think growing sexy <laughs> i mean i think i'm also people have always said that i'm like an old soul so maybe that's it yeah i'm i'm, I'm doing this thing ever since yesterday Giving people nicknames on their things. So your, your name is going to be Angela Grown and Sexy Flowing Oh, Lord. <laughs> grown and Sexy. Remember when people like would put that um, on, on flyers? Like, yes. On and it was flyers. just like, like, so like young and homely, not invited. Like who, who, who reading that? the flyer? No, I'm saying who reading the flyer is going to think I'm not grown and sexy. I don't, I shouldn't go to this party. But then you show think, up at the door and then you get fucking rude awakening. Right. Like, oh, no, you are. Uh, but everybody's, but it's not going to keep anyone like away because everyone's going to feel like my definition of grown and sexy is enough. I think in uh, the spirit of your writing, you should be honest with yourself. <laughs> so what else? You got a new book dropping. What else? You, it's anything not dropping. else you want to share? <laughs> I have to write it first. You got, well, we talk One about day. these things like they are going to happen. All right. So Speak it into existence. Happen. Yes. That's, yes. That's the way you do it. Right. What else? What else you got going on? Um... I'm teaching at Princeton this year, teaching the young oh. people. Oh. Uh, I'm teaching intro fiction, two sections to yes. undergraduates. So far, so wonderful. What in your understanding of how you teach it, oh. how, would you dis- how would you define fiction? When is something Ooh. fiction? That's a good question. I can't actually say it because that's like going to be a discussion topic in one of my classes in like five weeks. Okay. And I don't want them to just Google <laughs> me down and find the answer. The answer. Okay. But, um, you know, the more you read, especially when you, the more you read sort of like things in translation or internationally, mm-hmm. the more you realize it's really freeing in a way because fiction is not 
necessarily what's like anthologized as fiction yeah. like in this country fiction is um a lot more sort of like free willing than that mm. and i guess maybe one thing that you can kind of put a finger on is that it gets at some sort of truth that like just a straightforward essay is like that has to abide by the rules of reality is not able to achieve that makes sense. I've always thought about fiction as right? that lie you tell to get the truth out. <laughs> yes. You know how like you lie, like it's like those cop movies where like the person like does some dirt dirtbag shit. Interrogation tactics. Yeah. yeah. But you but you do it so that you get the truth, which is like fine in the pursuit of justice. But it like it's different when like in real life like mm-hmm. should be happening with like. I don't like cop movies no more. That's another story. That is another story. I mean, do they still make cop movies? Yeah. I mean, you know what? You, you know, I think, and this is to the subject of like growing up, right? I think a lot of things I enjoyed as a kid, I think now I'm becoming older to see like the lives that get affected by right. by the suggestions of those movies, how dangerous they are. Right. So like, like the, the cop way who doesn't follow the rules. Who the just like runs up on a would-be witness and slaps yeah, them yeah, to get the yeah. truth. That's and like, all this, this shit that you think like is, is, is good. Excessive force. Yeah. What are and you the, doing? And then you start to, then it's like real life people who get like locked up for no reason because right. the person knows that they did Tearing it. Tearing up they, people's apartments. Yeah, like yeah, doing yeah. raids and stuff. All it's that stuff is like, disrespectful. Yeah. So like. I'm getting at that Pretending age. that they have warrants that they don't have. All, all of, of those things. All of it. Yeah, all of it like, that you're taught to be, like you, like, you accept is, like, normalized. And, like, yes, this is a good cop. They're pursuing. And I'm starting, I'm seeing, like, oh, like, this is, like, this is the But same. that's one of the ways that they sort of normalize, like, really abnormal behavior. So yeah. that now some people don't understand what a cop is supposed to do or not. And which is why they, like, cheerlead cops who do all kinds of yeah. Illegal things because the movies told him it was fine, you know. Mm-hmm. No, you're right. You're definitely right. Speaking and, of speaking of movies, and the thing that would always get like the you know commanding officer to be like, "I want your gun and badge," was never like the clear, dirty things. It was always something else. Like, <laughs> like you <laughs> blew up, you <laughs> blew up right eight hundred boats in the marina. Okay, yeah, that would be it. But not like all these individual just violations. Like smaller, yeah, like these things that, and that's what you have to do is blow right. up boats. Or it was because you disrespected the commanding officer in some yeah. way. And then it's like, I want your gun and badge, but not because And then they still like, go and they do whatever the fuck they exactly. want. Exactly. Rogue cops. Rogue <laughs> cops and move. Like, that's terrifying. That's in real life, like, oh, rogue But that's cops? what you have so much. Well, you have, in theory, so much right. rogue cops. In movies, there's so many rogue cops. Like, yeah. they gave him the gun and badge, but their partner still is at the door and it's like, we don't get this guy. And it's like, <laughs> wait a minute. He's just a civilian. Wildin'. <laughs> then at the end, he gets his gun and badge back. Right. Which is like the real And shit, a commendation. <laughs> That's what they get in real life. That's what they get in real life. You writing a show? Huh? You want to? No? No. No, we not? Okay. Uh, no, you didn't. <laughs> See, that's, it's because you drank more than me. Okay. Mm-mm. You're not writing a show? No. What else are we not doing? Huh? <laughs> what else are we not doing? What I'm not doing. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not even talking. I'm talking about. Um, what else? Talking I- about the first thing. Right. That was related to this. Like, is that still is that a project? Is that a project still on the table? Oh, um, I don't know. Uh, so that's what I was talking about the whole time. Okay. Right. Sure you are. Um, <laughs> so a studio or production company optioned it for television a year ago. But that um, option, which I'm really excited about, yeah. But that option will actually come to an end soon. So I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Well, let me ask you something. Are you at liberty to speak about some of the people you would want to embody this book, some of the actors who you'd want um, to see play certain characters. I really don't know. I um, Cause I think this would give like middle aged black actors like all the work, right? All the work. Um, I I don't know because I would want to see Angela Bassett somewhere in the book. In, in, the, in the I had just like had a, a vision of Angela <laughs> Bassett. Um, Angela Bassett would be a good Alice. She would be a good therapist. Um, she would just, cause she, yeah. Uh, there are people, I, I don't know, I feel like a lot of the people that I would want are, Wendell Pierce would be a good cha-cha, I feel like. Yeah, I remember you saying He's that. He's curmudgeonly right? enough. Yeah. <laughs> and lovable enough. Who do you see playing Layla? That would be hard. Um, I, I, see, I see Regina Hall. Really? I could see, um... I could see 
Mm. Uh, I can see Sanaa Lathan, actually. That's, yeah. She seems That's... like... She, something about her demeanor is like a person with secrets. <laughs> anyway. Not like I she's shady, people, but you nah, know what nah, I mean? But I think people were surprised that she dated French Montana. I didn't even know that. <laughs> you know, it's news to that me. was like a thing for a me. person with secrets, yeah, right? It was like, um, like okay, so not late then it's French Montana. That was that was not when I was going. But yeah, myself. I would have to sort of like think, think about it. Think back to the characters because um, I think what it does. What I what I, what I ask that question for because I think it gives an audience who doesn't read a way to think about a book because people who tend not to read don't have the same imagination as people who do all. So people, you know, mm-hmm. being able to see who these people are and like giving people a way in first kind of goes, oh, I would love to read about Sanaa Lathanus. That's the thing that they... <laughs> Let me just throw their names in it. <laughs> yeah, if, if that becomes the way that they read the book and they, and they you know, expand their imagination and why not? Um, I could definitely see... Uh, what's his name? Uh, Molly dated him only for a day. Oh, uh, Sterling K. Brown. Is that his name, Sterling? Oh, Sterling K. K. Brown. Is that Sterling K. Brown? Oh, from This Is Us. Yeah, I could see him as David, as uh the uh, oh the oh, like Layla's the one that was love interest. Digging down, Layla. <laughs> It's a sh- it's my show. Oh, okay. I, I I didn't know what the level was. I'm oh, trying level, to keep it PG. Yeah, we, we up here. Okay. We I guess here. dicking down is PG <laughs> in 2017. Anyway, um, but that was a that was the scene. But I would want somebody like a little sleazier for Troy. So that could be somebody. Shamar Moore with the cornrows. <laughs> I was thinking that you're you're close. I was thinking Michael Ely. Yeah, he is more sleazy. That is definitely <laughs> um, the lights can do that ruin your life. Right. I could see Lonnie for sure being Terrence Howard. Lonnie is like the yeah the, the brother who lives in LA. I like, like how we're talking about them like they're real people. Right. This is how you make it real. This is how you make the fiction fact. So where can people follow you? On, on um, the they can follow me on the gram. Okay. I'll I, I will respond to your messages or whatever on the weekends. Um, I have a weekend only gram thing going right now. Okay. Um. <laughs> It's just my name. It's just Angela Flournoy. Um, Twitter is the same thing. It's just my name. Site, AngelaFlournoy.com? Yeah. Okay. Any events? Any readings? Oh, man. Any events? Any readings? Um, I'm going to Missouri. (laughs) I'm going to... Somebody might be from Missouri. I said, wow. I didn't say why. I thought you said wow, but like in that way. Like, Like, wow. Like, that's a... I thought you said like, wow. Like, like what? Like that. Um, (laughs) Anyway... So I am the one read, like, so the whole city of Columbus, Missouri is reading me. Hey, I've been lucky enough weird. to be the, the one read a few times in Baltimore County and in Seattle. Um, now I'm going to Columbus, Missouri. That's dope. On Tuesday. So let me ask you something. What's the most, what is one of the, mo- one of the more memorable things you've heard from a reader about your book? No, 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 no. Um, one of the most memorable things. One of the more. Oh, I'm always hard. interested in like crazy readings. Like, <laughs> like I don't know how you got that out of like a scene. So there was like a a scene. There's a scene early on in the book where Cha Cha is like installing a water filter in his sister Francie's like under her kitchen sink. Yeah. And somebody thought that was like a sexual innuendo scene because Francie was like leaning over him. Oh my God. Oh. And they thought that this was some crazy like incest in the kitchen Somebody scene. Somebody telling themselves. And I was just like, how did we get here? Like, how did we get here? And what did they say to that? They were like, I don't know. I just was expecting because I didn't know. Once I knew there was a ghost, I didn't know what the explanation was. So everywhere I was expecting was going to be like the dirty secret that led to the ghost. And I was so like, like a sexual abuse situation. But that's fascinating because that means that they have been reading like they're trained, you know, narratives. They come from you from somewhere. So you've been reading things where you feel like the explanation for a supernatural occurrence must have some sort of twisted traumatic origin, which yeah. sometimes it does. But right. like. You don't necessarily, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a, like a Hollywood sort of rendering of it. And that's sort of been the theme of the book. It's like people are trying to read trauma into the places of the book where it didn't exist, right? And, that and that's what like Alice, like the therapist, does also. Yeah. Like something traumatic happened to you. But mm-hmm. we don't got no trauma on this show. We just got a whole lot of joy. 
a whole lot of intellectualism. And for you, a whole lot of being lit. That's yours. That's, this is, I promise you it's not a ring. I know what it is. <laughs> I know what it is. I've been waiting for this. Yeah, yeah. You should have some like music on when I... Oh, it's so big it needs two pins. Yeah, that's how lit it is. I don't think I've ever gotten an, an enamel pin that needed two. And that came in its own little box. Do you need the box back? Oh, that's yours. You sure? It has your name on it. Oh, shit. And you signed it? Thank yes. you. So people know. You didn't that. put the year, though. Come on, now. I got I got to do you like somebody's mom who's like, you got to put the year on the back of your picture. We got to, we got to, I got to, we got to do this off camera because I don't know what the marker is. Okay. Um, so before you get out of here, your literary swag. We did it two years ago. It has changed. And I know it's changed. So three writers, three clothing designers. Oh. I don't even know who I said for... Either was I, and I know my fiance would know. He'd be like, "You said this, this, and this." Um, you know, that's the day we met too. Really? Yeah. See, look, we making history out here, man. The first literary swag person I ever did was Jason Reynolds. Mm -hmm. He came on the show. The first time I did, y'all met you and your boo. You want to talk about your boo? Why I find your literary swag video? You want to leave him off the table? He's off the table. <laughs> Are you on like your Jay Z, Beyonce? Don't ask me um, nothing about my boo type thing. What is my literary swag? Uh, I'm, I'm looking up the first video. Okay, so I think some are the same. Uh, so writers. Zora Neherson being a part of it. It was Toni Morrison, Edward P. Jones. Mm -hmm. It probably and probably Zora Neherson. Right. I'm gonna go with that again. Okay. Um, the the swag was I don't remember what it was back then, but I think now. I'm still gonna have to say shout out to Levi's. Like Levi's making the clothes that like I could fit. Like the jeans I could fit. Yeah. You try to get these fancy designers, they don't believe in hips. I can't believe in them. And long end seams simultaneously. Right. Like you, you can have one, one or the, the other. other. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm still gonna say shout out to Levi's, which uh -huh. I think I said before. Um shout out to Chucks. Just gotta keep it California. Okay. Um I was thinking about wearing Chucks today, but Chucks are like my rain shoes. Weirdly enough, Chuck high top Chuck twos. Yeah, yeah. They can take a lot of water without any sort of like like seepage. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, don't like step in a puddle, but yeah. On purpose, yeah, like stretch. Um, it. and let's think here. So I shop at Cause a lot. I don't know. That's just like Cause. Is it Cause or Cause? C O S. I don't know what that is. Oh, it's like. <laughs> What did one of my friends, I think they called it like, like H&M for like old people. <laughs> it's like. This is the theme of your life. It's like, it's like. Uh, sexy, that's the name. Grown it's just sexy. like solid color, structural, but also sort of like amorphous okay. pieces. I get, I get that. Um, I get but that. also, so the, I, I, I'm, I'm like really messing up the format of a no, literary you, swag. Kick, kick, so. it, kick it, This is not like the Instagram, like I have to have like just bam, bam, nah, bam. Could, I can this, take more is, time. this is more the free But form. also I wore this skirt today because I went to my first fashion week show. Laquan Smith, right? Yes. And his uh, collection has a lot of tartan and plaid, which I love tartan and plaid. And he has a skirt that's kind of like this that made me think, which I mean, the collection's not out yet. So obviously I don't have none of it. It's not out till like the spring, and I ain't got it like that to be getting samples. Yeah. Um, but the show gonna get people there, don't worry but, about right? It. But um, but yeah, so I'm also a fan of Laquan Smith. I, hey. I gotta, you know, get my funds right. But um, yeah, I met him randomly in Jamaica. Yeah, at the jerk chicken cart, and him and his partner Craig, and they're cool people, and they invited me to the show. Hey, yeah. that was dope. Seeing writers at a fashion show, they need to start getting us as writers in these shows. Making us a part of Fashion Week, getting us front row or some things. Right. I think a good front row. Well, who would be a good literary front row for you? I would like to see you. I would like to see Nicole Dennis Ben, Jasmine Ward. Who else? Tracy O'Neill. Mm. Lisa Lucas. Yeah. Um, Lisa got some good jumpsuits. Uh, Jason. Oh, Mitch. Yeah. Who else? Esme Wayne. Uh. Who else is super swaggy? Zadie, of course. Zadie oh, of course. Has to be. Chimamanda, of course. Chimamanda. I mean, they already oh, are. Oh, shit. Like, <laughs> well, Z, well, first of all, Zadie went to the Met Gala. Right. Over it. So she's already like. She was on Mew Mew show last year. She's had a couple shows last year, I believe. Yeah. I'm talking about a literary front row. I'm talking about that, that those iconic front rows. Um, That's nice that you said it. I would be there. I mean, I'd be trying. I'm just out here, you know, 
Just out here trying. But uh, <laughs> yeah. um, I'm trying to think who else. Um, I can't think about it right now. And who dresses really well? Um, I know I'm missing somebody. Nicole Seely, too. Nicole Seely. She also just like, she's like fit. I ran into her at the gym and I just felt like my whole life was in shambles afterwards. I was like, this little five pound weight, screw this weight. But I can't pick up anything heavier. Yeah. 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 All right. So this has been another episode. Oh, Morgan Parker, low-key swaggy. Oh, yeah, she is. She's got a lot of vintage pieces. Yeah. She She wore like, to reparations last week, she wore like a caftan, but it was like a jumpsuit. It was amazing. It was like a, it was like like a swaggy wearable couch, basically. <laughs> That's dope. That is dope. All right now, are we good? Yes, I'm sorry. No, it's all good. You ain't gotta apologize. So this has been another episode of Lit. Follow us at Lit Platform. Follow me at Yadon on all the platforms. Follow Pink Pick Productions. Follow my man Surreal Jewels. This is Liddy Fontaine and Angela Brown and Sexy Yeah.